what I'm going to be talking about tonight is leading up to that time of Jesus' suffering and his death. And you can only imagine what it must have been like for the master as he was getting that close to when he knew that his life on earth was going to be over. And the kind of interaction that he had with people, that had to always be in the back of his mind. And that's one of the things that we're going to be taking a look at tonight. It's one thing for us, like on Sunday, we can look way back in history, we can talk about, boy, those people, they just couldn't get it, could they? They just, all they would have had to do was serve the Lord and he would have poured blessing into their life. They couldn't have contained it all, but they continued to walk away from God. Like I was talking in the back with a brother, we were saying how it was about the time things got to going pretty well. It was like, okay, I got this now, Lord, I can take care of it and I'll catch up to you. Go help somebody that needs some help. I can handle life on my own. And it doesn't take very long until we start to fade away. That love for the Lord, it just goes away. We're going to be taking a look at some stories in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is an interesting writer because he's writing it as a journal. And he's writing, we know from the book of Acts, that he's writing to a man named Theophilus. Because Acts was his second letter to him. Luke is his first letter. And Luke is writing from the perspective of a physician, so you get all kinds of stories of people being healed. I think it must have been fascinating for Luke to understand what was going on with people that were sick, and then all of a sudden they were healed, and can't help but think, he said, well, man, I wish I could do that. As a physician, you could only imagine how fascinating it was to see Jesus healing people right and left. But Luke is writing to somebody that's not a Jew. So he brings different things into his writing. And I think he's a little bit more honest about how the Jewish people were. Because he's outside, not necessarily just inside. And a few times, there's just a couple of times that this happens in his writing. He puts this little postscript. It's almost like he adds a commentary. And then he goes on to tell the story. Now it doesn't happen often. But when it does, you need to pay attention because this is something that really impressed this doctor. And this is one of those times that we're going to take a look at tonight. If you turn in your scripture to Luke chapter 18, we're going to see this little postscript that he writes down in verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Did you get that? To those that were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everybody else, Jesus, he wanted to set them straight. The parable goes right into this very righteous guy and sinner, and they're going to the temple to pray. And the righteous man, we all know, that Luke is writing about someone who was a Jew, who had grown up, well, let's just put it, who was a righteous person. He had grown up in the church. He never had a bad day in his life. He never did anything wrong. All you had to do was ask him, and he'd have told you. He gets up there, and he starts to, basically, he's talking to himself. In my own words, God, aren't you glad that I'm on your side? I mean, 
how could you have gotten anybody better? And to think about it, you know, I give you some of my money. And look at my diet, God. I go without eating, so everything is good. Right, God? You see, this man never asked God for anything. But he told God how good he was. Now, what's wrong with this picture? We just sang a song here. Mercy there was great and grace was free. This man didn't need any mercy because he was good. He was good. Have you ever gone to church and gone home and felt like nothing happened? The other man comes and he falls down over in a corner Somebody saw him, they probably thought that he was hitting the bottle or something. And he's beaten on his chest. Have mercy on me, O God. You know what? God delights in answering prayers like that. And he showered mercy on this man so that when he got up and he left that church, left the presence, he felt something had happened. Now, this story sets up two meetings with two different people. And we're going to take a look at these people here because this is where it gets fleshed out. Understand, Jesus is on his way. It's only like a chapter or so down. We read about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where everybody is celebrating him because, wow, this is the greatest leader that could ever come along. Look what he has been able to do. And then a week later, of course, we know they crucify him, yell for his death. But Jesus is on his way. And this young ruler of a synagogue, somebody that was looked up to very much, he was looked up to because he had his life together. His act was well put together, okay? Nobody was having any problems with him. I believe it's Mark tells us that he comes running and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is down in verse 18. A certain ruler, and we know him be a ruler of the synagogue. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good master, wait a minute, wait a minute. How many of you found out in your reading of scripture that Jesus always responds to the person on the same level in which they come at him? I mean to tell you, he is the best example of meeting people right where they are. So you're a leader of the synagogue and you come and call me good? Wait a minute. You would say that there's only one person that's good and that's God, right? And Jesus calls him up short, says, let me get this right. Are you ready to say that I'm God? Wait a minute. You know, we have a habit of saying things, doing things to make us look good. And this is what Luke's writing at. To those who thought they were righteous, a little bit better than anybody else, this ruler had it all together. But what he was saying on the outside wasn't matching really what was going on the inside. And Jesus calls him on it. I don't think anybody else that day really knew what the response was, but that young ruler did. 
And I think at about this time, the ruler goes, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. Because Jesus gets, he says, why do you call me good? There's only one good, but there's only one good, and that's God. And he says, you know the commandments. What are they? We got them here. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. Jesus, it's almost as if he lobs him this nice, big, fat, slow pitch. And the ruler, he's just about, oh man, I got past that one. And here comes this night, and you can just see him, his tongue's about hanging out, he's just waiting, he's going to knock it out of the park. Because Jesus hits him right at his position. What is the law? The law. Got the law. You look at every single one of these things, we would refer to them as the Ten Commandments, right? But for Israel, for this ruler, this was the law. And not only had he kept the law, but he had kept a whole bunch more. And he knocks it out of the park. Oh, except there's... One that Jesus doesn't mention. All these things, you take a look at that list. All those things have to do with externals. You can measure. Don't commit adultery, okay? Haven't done that. Don't lie, okay? Haven't done that. Honor your father and your mother? Yep, got that one covered. All are outside, right? Now Jesus, at another time, had gotten in a discussion with some wise leaders, and he called them whitewashed sepulchers. You got a whitewash on the outside, but the inside's full of dead man's bones. And he says, "You get so concerned about washing the outside of the cup, and the inside's dirty." And Jesus got this young ruler; he got him just set up, and he didn't even know what was happening. You know the law. And this young ruler says, yep, I've kept them all since I was a kid. I've done them all. Feeling pretty good here. I got to just ask you this. What do you think drew this young man who had it all together and could probably rightly say that he's kept all these laws since he was a kid? What drew him to Jesus, really, what did he need? Why is he even interested in talking to Jesus? And why does he come to him to say, what must I do to inherit eternal life, as if he didn't already know? Keep the law. Keep the law. That's all. Just keep the law. It's that simple, right? You try it. It's not simple. It's frustrating. Because every time you think you've got it under control, something comes along and just pulls the rug right out from under you, and you figure out that you're not as good as what you thought you were. But you can't let it on. You can't tell anybody else. Now, for the, the reality was, this man, he was at his wit's end. You know, just tell me, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Just tell me. If it's go make this pilgrimage to somewhere, I'll go do it. And I believe that he would have. If you tell him to give a certain portion of his income away, I'm sure he would have done it. Yeah, just tell me what I need to do to be able to have eternal life. Listen, it's the same binding 
that Satan uses in almost every cult. They just say, if you just do a little bit more, just do a little bit more, then you're going to be able to be saved. If you fill in all the punches on this card, if you, you name it. But how do you know when you've done enough? You try obeying the law like that. You can't do it. And this man was feeling empty. He knew something was missing. But yet he had been in church all his life. The sad thing is, there are people in our churches. They come, and they've been here all their life. And yet they still don't know what it means to have the mercy of God flood their soul and bring forgiveness. They still are trying to keep up this picture that I've got it all together. And Jesus comes back to this young ruler and he says, you still lack one thing. Young ruler, if you're going to live by the law, then let's live by the law. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And then, then you will have treasures in heaven. Jesus now hits the last one of the law. Don't covet. That's inside. How can you tell whether you covet or not? And not only this, Jesus knew that for this young ruler, listen very closely, for this young ruler, being rich was evidence to everybody else that God was pleased with him. See, in this time, in this era, if you were wealthy, it was evidence to everybody around you that God was blessing you. And you must be living right. And if you take that away, if I'm not rich anymore, they might think that I've done something wrong. So, I spin you right back to when Jesus questions him and says, am I good? He comes full circle. Am I God? If I'm God, then sell your stuff and come and follow me. If I'm God. Jesus just says that he went away sad. How's Luke write it? It says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. I find it, this is amazing to me. Jesus did not go running after him and say, what, wait a minute, maybe I was a little bit too tough on you. It would be kind of nice to have a rich young ruler like you as part of my team. So we're going to overlook this a little bit. Let's just back it up a little bit. Let's not make the bar so high. Who set the bar high? The ruler set the bar high. Jesus puts it down here that everybody can jump over it. The ruler had set it high. And Jesus lets him walk away. Let's him walk away. He said, if the man was feeling that something was missing before, how do you think he was feeling now? Well, 
Remember last year I was talking about this guy named Peter? Doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. All the time getting himself into a little bit deeper than where he can really swim. He pipes up and says, well, what about us? Look at us, Lord. You know, if that's what it takes to sell everything we have and to follow you, then what about us? We've done that. Aren't we good? Oh, watch your shoulder, Peter. Aren't we good? Jesus says, he just comes back right at me. He says, look, you didn't get the point. Anybody who has left houses or family or land and all that, he says, God's going to restore to him far more. He's going to restore. There is a friend of ours that lived her life pretty much as a missionary. She was in El Salvador. She was in Brazil and several other places. And I can remember a conversation that I had with her when she came back from one of those times of service. And she says, I left my family here, and that's a hard thing to do. But I've got family in, in a lot of different countries. Then there was some ongoing discussions. And after being with the poor all these years, I kind of realized I am poor. What do I do? I've spent my whole life and everything I had. And now... She's just adopted two young children and the Lord's blessing her. It's interesting to see how that kind of lifestyle fills your life full of people who become like family to you. Well, Jesus goes on to say, because for the disciples there, Peter jumps right in and says, you know, what about us? Obviously, we're doing it right. And Jesus takes them aside Just the disciples, I think it would have been. He just takes them aside and he begins to tell them that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. Now that was not the plan that the disciples had in mind. They thought that Jesus was going to be setting up an earthly kingdom. And understand, all this bounces off of this interaction with this rich young ruler. Because Jesus tells him to sell what he has and give to the poor and come follow me. Then you're going to have riches in heaven, right? So, These disciples are thinking, we sold everything we have and we're following you. We're going to have riches on earth. They didn't catch the heaven part. They were fully expecting that God was going to set up and establish his kingdom with Jesus. And who wouldn't like a Messiah who is capable of getting bread out of a couple of loaves and a couple of fish and being able to... What a welfare program. Who needs to worry about health care when Jesus can speak the word here and you're healed over there? And that's what they were expecting. And it was only after the resurrection did stuff start to make sense to them. Now, chapter 19. Now, if you have somebody that's got their act all together, like the rich, strong ruler, then I'm going to introduce you to somebody who has nothing together. And this guy's name is Zacchaeus. We're going to compare and contrast their lives. All right? Zacchaeus, living in Jericho. And Luke tells us that Jesus was coming into Jericho. This is chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. Keep that in mind. That's important. Don't forget it. Jesus was entering Jericho, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, what's some similarities between Zacchaeus and the ruler? 
they're both wealthy, right? And they are both at the top of their profession, right? The ruler of the synagogue, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He's not a nice guy. Let me just explain how this works if you're a tax collector in Rome, for Rome. If you're a tax collector, let's say that New Holland is a tax entity. The chief tax collector would go to Rome and say, how much tax do you want from New Holland? And Rome would say, we want $1,000. Here's your $1,000. Now, Zacchaeus can go home to New Holland and everything he can collect, he gets to keep. So, he can make the taxes be $5,000. It doesn't matter. Rome's got what they want. And everybody knows that tax collectors are cheats. The thing is, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. That means that he had employees that were actually doing the dirty work. Do you think that his reputation in Jericho was one of, Hey, buddy, how you doing? Nice to see you. No, I think not. But he was at the top of his profession. Interesting, because verse 3, he wanted to see Jesus. Why? What is there about Jesus that people want to see him? I mean, he's just a vagabond preacher, right? He doesn't have a home. People tell stories about him that he doesn't know who his father is. There's all kinds of... Jesus. But Zacchaeus wants to meet him. He wants to see him. In the same way the ruler wants to see him. Let me tell you, the higher that you lift Jesus, the clearer he is on display, the more people come. They can't stay away. There's something about Jesus that just continually draws people to him it drew you didn't it it draws you let him be known make him known don't worry about the rest keep jesus focused sent it will draw people out of the most religious of institutions and it will draw people in the worst possible profession that luke could write about he didn't know anybody worse than zacchaeus that was as low as you could get And he wanted to see Jesus. Luke says, but he could not. Being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Ouch. How many times do we stand in the way of people seeing Jesus that want to, but we're in the way? Do you think there was anybody really that was making way for him? Oh, there's Zacchaeus. He's short. Maybe we can put him down front. We can let him see Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. No, most likely what was going on, oh, there's Zacchaeus, boom, I'm going to get my shot in. If he dares think that he can come out, you know, what's he thinking coming out here in broad daylight? Anyway, what's he want to hang out with Jesus for? He's so bad, there's no hope for him. Oh, how sad it is. Because we do the same thing. We relegate people onto certain levels of whether or not we think they have any hope of responding to Jesus instead of letting Jesus do the work, letting him do the drawing. 
I can tell you this. It's not my responsibility to change somebody's heart. That's God. And he's better at it than I am. Far better at it than I am. My only responsibility is planting seed. I do that. God tells me he'll do the rest. There will be harvesters. There will be people who care for the seed and things. But it's God that provides the increase every time. I don't do very good at changing people. I remember a conversation that I had downstairs in the kitchen of our church with a man. And he was saying, well, John, what do I do about this? And I gave him pretty, I'll tell you what it was. It's our, our tradition, military is tough road to walk because of the position of peace. And he's saying, if I'm going to come be a part of this fellowship, what do I do? Because I've always marched in the Honeybrook Parade and the Color Guard, and I've always marched and carried the flag. He says, what do I do if I'm going to become people of peace? What do I do with that? And I told him, he says, well, you carry the flag as long as you possibly can. And if the flag gets to be too heavy, then you lay it down. And he goes, no, no, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Should I march or should I? No. Because if you change to please me or what I think, then the next person that you like or respect a little bit and they tell you something different, you're going to change to please them. Understand? And what Jesus is basically setting up here is this. When you change to please God, it is going to require incredible influence to have you change your mind from that. Understand? So Zacchaeus, we stand in the way. Zacchaeus was wanting to come and see God. No, we stand in the way. We maybe even take our shot and we push him down. You're down there so far, we'll just keep you down there. You're kind of getting what you deserve anyway. Isn't that what we think? Now, the problem is, the rich young ruler, nobody was saying he's getting what he deserves. They're saying, oh, I wish I could be like him. I wish I could be blessed like him. He's rich. Zacchaeus was rich. And nobody's saying, look how God's blessing him. Why do we use different measures with different people by what we think they deserve? It's not us to set the standards. Well, he runs ahead and he climbs this tree so that he could see Jesus because Jesus was coming that way. Let me tell you something. People that don't know Christ know more about them than what we like to give them credit for. I work with some people that aren't Christians, but I'll tell you what, they can tell you what a Christian should be like. They know it. <laughs> Boy, do they know it. They don't want to be one, but they know what one's supposed to be. Okay? Jesus was going that way, and Zacchaeus goes over there, and he climbs up this tree. He knew how to see Jesus. There is always a way. There is always a way. Nobody can make an excuse. Well, I wanted to come to Christ, but uh, there was just no way I could do it. Uh, no, forget about it. There's always a way. God always provides a way. And Jesus comes underneath that tree, and he looks up there, he stops it. Do you think God knows where you're at? I love the story of how Jesus finds the lamb that was lost. He knew where that lamb was. He knew where Zacchaeus was all the time. I kind of have to think that he was chuckling inside. While he was coming down the road, because he says, you know, Zacchaeus is up in that tree. He thinks he's hiding, and I'm going to call him out. 
And I can't help but think that they're in Christ's heart because he knows all things. This had to be fun, this hide-and-seek game that he has. Here are all these people around him, and they're all wanting something from Jesus, but Jesus knew what Zacchaeus wanted, and that's what Jesus wanted to give. These other people, they wanted to be seen with him because it would help their resume. I was at a restaurant the other Friday night. Uh, Tony Wang's up at, along Route 3. Anybody ever been there? Well, he's got all these pictures of, on the wall of people that he's got his arm around as if that makes him important too. Their importance going to rub off on him. Well, in a way, that's what was going on here with these people that were following Jesus. They, if I can get close enough and they can take my picture, wow, you know, I can just, oh, <clears throat> I was next to Jesus, you know? Why do you come to Jesus? Like the guy that stood up and says, God, aren't you glad that I'm on your side or... Man, I need a savior. Who do you think Jesus wants to hang out with? There's an old line that describes people like that to think that they're so righteous. They're referred to as people that walk around with their nose so high in the air they can't smell their own mouthwash. This whole thing is, who wants to hang out with those kind of people? Certainly not Jesus. They're not wanting what he's offering. But Zacchaeus, on the other hand, he wants to see him. And Jesus comes underneath that tree. He looks up and he knows where Zacchaeus is, but in the same way that he knows where you and I are. Even before we come to know him, he knows where we were. He looks up and he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. Now, if Jesus had a reputation, Zacchaeus had a reputation too. It could well be that Jesus had seen him before or something, but all we know is on that day, he looks up in that tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree because I'm going to your house today. Or something like that. That's the way the little song goes. How does Luke write it? Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I can see half of you, mostly the female half. If somebody says, I'm coming to your house today. It was, uh, you're just going through your mind. Okay, do I have the cushions on the, in the sofa? Do I, you know, what's in the, oh, oh the laundry's, oh, 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 no. There's dishes in the sink. Oh, no, you can't. Just give me 15 minutes, God. And then you can come in. Right? Oh, maybe, maybe you're not like that. But what is there? How personal does it get for you? to have somebody unexpected walk in the door at the same time you do. Zacchaeus is out here. He scrambles down, and there is no indication that there's any hesitation. Come! Zacchaeus got nothing to hide. Why? He's a sinner. Everybody knows he's a sinner. That's no problem. Why do we think Jesus has a problem hanging out with sinners? The fact is, it seems to me in all the scripture... Jesus had more fun hanging out with them than he did the Pharisees. Or something happened when Jesus hung out with the sinners. They changed. When he hung out with the Pharisees, nothing happened. Zacchaeus comes just bouncing down out of that tree, and he's on his way, and now you get the tongues wagging. Well, look at that. Going to be a guest of a sinner. Now, if he'd have known what was good for him, he would have went home with the 
ruler to his house. He could have got some of that good kosher food and not have to worry about where this guy was getting his meat. You know, that's what they were talking about. You know, there were some old biddies in there. They were just really giving it to him. You talk about gossip. It's gone. Because they were jealous that he was going with Zacchaeus and wasn't coming with them. That's what the problem was. Why is Zacchaeus? Everybody knows that he's a sinner. He is totally hopeless. Why in the world are you wasting time with him? And Jesus goes to his house. We have no clue what they talked about. But something happened in his house that day. Jesus doesn't talk to him about the law. He doesn't say to him, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. There's no indication that the law even came up. But Zacchaeus knew just by being in the presence of Jesus that something had to change. Something in his life was going to be different because he met Christ. And he stands up and says, whoa, I know, I've got it. I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've taken advantage of everybody, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. He wasn't required to do that. Jesus never asked him to do that. But something in Zacchaeus' heart just made him so eager to respond. He was going to make things right. And I can tell you, you know, when somebody gets right with God, things start to snap all around them. They start to come into place. And Zacchaeus, he was going to do whatever he could to make things. Now, in the law, in Leviticus, what Zacchaeus didn't know, or maybe he did, but he didn't need to give four times. That was going way above and beyond the law. So this rich, young ruler was so concerned about living up to the law and couldn't measure up, and Zacchaeus instinctively goes way beyond the law. It's a heart issue. That's what God's concerned about every time. Yeah, I say, don't commit adultery, but Jesus says, don't even lust. I say, you know, don't kill. Don't even call somebody a fool. The law is only the starting point. But so many people make it the end all. And Jesus said, I want you to live way beyond it. And here, just having been in the presence of Jesus for a little bit, boom, it just opens up and he gets it. He gets it. I want to talk to you about this restitution thing a little bit. Because I feel that so often it is what's missing in our trite saying, I'm sorry. I didn't talk about this, but just a little bit ahead of this, I think the chapter before Jesus says, if somebody comes to defend you, you need to forgive them. Okay? This, I'm sorry. Okay? Well, the next thing you know, they do the same thing all over again. Oh, I'm sorry. And a little bit, oh, I'm sorry. Are you? I think what sorry means is, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to do it again. But it keeps happening. Well, in sorry language, there's sorry, and then there's sorry plus, and then there's restitution. Okay? So let me give you an analogy to help you understand the differences. I borrow your lawnmower. Okay? And I'm mowing my yard, and I accidentally run your lawnmower over my well cap. And bad things happen to your lawnmower. It's don't mow lawn anymore. And I bring it home to you, and I, man, I'm so sorry. 
I borrowed your lawnmower and I hit the well. I'm so sorry. And I'll walk away. And you, you forgive me. And you go buy a new lawnmower. Because this one's no good. And next week, can I borrow your lawnmower? That's sorry. Now, sorry plus. I borrow your lawnmower. I take it home and I mow my yard and I hit the well cap. And I take it to J.B. Zerman's over here. And they fix it for us. And it's not brand new, but it's as good as I can possibly get. And I bring it back to you and I say, I borrowed, I hit the well cap. I am so sorry. I took it to the repair shop and I got it fixed. You know, it's the best it, it's running, it's running great, but I am just so sorry. Well, okay. Next week, I knock on the door. Can I borrow your lawnmower? Well, okay. Yeah, you can borrow my Because you know that I'm serious about wanting to take care as if it was, a, it was an accident, and it ha- but you made it right. That's sorry plus. Restitution, which I think is a biblical principle. Okay, same scenario. I knock on your door. Can I borrow your lawnmower? I take it home. I'm mowing my yard. I hit the well cap. I take it to J.B. Zerman's and I get it fixed. And while I'm there, there's that nice weed eater that you've had your eye on. And I buy it. And I bring it back to you and I say, I'm so sorry. I hit the well cap with your lawnmower. I took it to J.B. Zerman's and I got it fixed for you. It's as good as we can make it. And while I was there, here's this weed eater I know that you've been wanting. I'm just really sorry. Next week, can I borrow your lawnmower? Yeah, you want my snowblower. See, the thing is, the thing is, restitution goes way beyond I'm sorry. Restitution goes to the point where it is a restoration of the relationship to the point where it is better than it was before. Oh, what do you want? You want to borrow my car? Sure, please. Because I know that you are looking out for my good as much or better than I am. For Zacchaeus that day, he went beyond restitution. He went beyond. Now, remember I said you've got to keep in mind because Jesus was going through Jericho on his way to the cross. Zacchaeus is left in Jericho. And he's coming up knocking on your door and saying, Hey, is this Zacchaeus? Oh, no, I already paid him. No, no, no. I've come, I've come to give it back to you. Here it is. And he's off down and it's gold jingling in his pockets and he's knocking on doors and people are going, what is wrong with him? And the thing is, Zacchaeus was a one-man revival rolling through Jericho because Jesus was not going to be able to stay there. But if there was anybody that was going to be able to have an impact that was a changed life, it was the worst, notorious, biggest, baddest sinner that the town could ever know. And when he changed, everybody had to take notice. Everybody had to set up and say, wow, he's different. And I'm not talking different. 
He's different. What is it that people say about you when you're rolling through town? This, truthfully, this is a lot tougher sermon to preach. This is not talking about somebody generations ago, oh, them, if they would have only paid attention to God, then they wouldn't have gotten in all that trouble with their families, the Midianites. This one's a whole lot closer home. This comes whole way into the center of my being and talks about heart attitudes. How do I feel? What do I think about wealth and whether or not God is God? Is he good or is he only good enough? You get the difference? Is he really uh, worth selling it all for? This story really has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with how I think about money and how I view it and what I think it does for me. This is not saying that you're supposed to all go out and give everything away. It's asking, what is most important in your life? Is God number one? How do I respond to the people that are around me? Am I trying to live by the law? Just this morning in my devotions, I was reading some thoughts. The writer was talking about Jesus' prayer. Our Father art in heaven. And, And it struck me. This line, lead us not into temptation. And yet, we walk so close to it that we wonder why we get caught. We say, Lord, I want to walk before you with pure mind, pure heart. But then you would listen to radio or watch TV that would encourage the opposite. Or, Lord, I don't want to be covetous. I don't want to... But you'll look at every flyer in the Sunday paper and it's all intended to try to make you dissatisfied with what you have so you go buy something else, right? Lead us not into temptation. And some of that, I think, is, is here for this rich young ruler. How do I walk right up close to it and yet still maintain the ability to say, I've kept all that since I was a kid. And some of us are pretty good at it. Some of us are excellent at coming to church with a mask on that everybody thinks it's everything is okay. It's much more fun being like with Zacchaeus and everybody knows you're not okay. It's a whole lot easier that way. That's where I want to bring it to a close here tonight. You get to think about where you're at. There's a lot of space between the two. I made a comment to someone here the other night that God is not nearly so concerned about the speed with which you are moving as he is with the direction that you're moving. If you're moving towards him, we know that the end result is that you get to him. It doesn't matter how fast you get there. Is my face turned towards him? And if it is, brothers and sisters, you are heading in the right direction. God's going to continue to lead you. He's going to continue to draw you. All that I can say, if you are one who's got everything all together and you think it depends on you to try to keep it that way, I can tell you you're going to get tired. You're going to get very tired. You're going to get wore out. You're going to become an old person real fast and still come to the point where you know it's just not quite there. It's just not quite enough. I just got to do a little bit more. And if you're caught in that whole downward whirlwind, I can just stop. Just stop. 
Jesus comes and offers everything that we're not. He offers his holiness for our unholiness. He offers us perfection for our imperfections. He offers us hope for our despair. It's him. It's what he's done. The change that happens in us is almost imperceptible to us. Because we don't even think about it. All of a sudden, we're acting. We're talking different. We're doing different. We're being different. And people are wondering, what hit them? I like that. It's those kinds of testimonies that bring out the most curiosity. People peg us. They know about where we fit in in life. And when something suddenly changes like it did in the life of Zacchaeus, that gets people talking too. Somebody had told me uh, one time ago, it says, when God sets a church on fire, or when God sets an individual on fire, people will drive for miles to watch it burn. And I pray that God will do that here in this place. That he will fill you so much with the power of his spirit that people wonder that they can't explain it in any other way. It will not be the same. It will be different. It will be a new normal. But it will be good because God is good. And those young people, they're out there. They still don't know exactly who they are, although they would like to think that they do. They're still in the process of finding it out that they will become so full of passion for God that it will become their identity as one who is a follower of Christ, who is it that Toby Max said, I'm a Jesus freak, that they would become sold out for God, that you won't just be those people in the background, but that your life will be so full of who God is and the joy that it will be contagious And the stability of this church will continue to plant strong pillars. It will continue to go and grow, bringing other people in. Let's pray. Holy Father, pray that as your lambs, you would receive us into your pasture that you have prepared. You will help us to know who we are and who you are. It gives us the courage to receive every good gift from you, beginning with salvation, beginning with yourself and your spirit. Fill us with your love, Lord, that goes way above and beyond what the law demands. It causes people to wonder in amazement at the life that is ours. Let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus, and let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done here in the presence of this building. Let your will be done in the town of New Holland. Breathe a fresh renewal into this place. Send the wind of your spirit, even as you did on Saturday, and send the wind of your spirit with such force and with such power that people have to change what they are going to do because you are affecting them. I pray that you will bring healing into this place for those that are hurting deeply because of wounds, some relationship wounds, that you will bring healing and that there will be more than just a restore. There will be restitution made and relationships can be restored so that both parties know that the good of the other 
is held very carefully. I pray too for those that are ill, that you will release your healing, miraculous power to your glory so that the story of how you healed could be a witness to someone who is still searching. Oh, Father, I pray for sufficiency to cover every need in this place. Whether it be financial need or any other kind of need that's here, that you would be the Jehovah Jireh, the one who supplies and provides. I ask for a peace that passes everyone's ability to understand it, to fill each life and each home. Keep this congregation from being coming so overwhelmed by the immense need and hurt of this world. Do not let them become distracted from the reality that Jesus is still able to save and to keep and that he still is the victor over sin and death in the grave. Do not let the cares of this life overwhelm them. I pray for additional people, believers, to join this congregation. To come along as supports and encouragements. Lifting these people up before you, Lord. Add to their number. May their social circle and network just continue to expand. and Roll out like the ocean wave. And Holy Father, let them see you not hidden. Show yourself in evidences of Direct answers to prayer. This unusual linkage or timing that occurs and we wonder, wow, this was a God moment. That unexpected help to be able to do things for the kingdom, Lord. Just bring it on and may it all be for your glory. To God be the glory. Amen.